What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Subaru Only Podcast. It's a podcast where all we do is dive into Subaru topics, talk about maintenance, upgrades, and motorsports with your Subaru. I'll be your one of your co-hosts. I'm Luke, and I'm here with my co-host, Jimmy. What's going on, guys? Uh, Subaru Only Podcast, and we are going to talk about today how we got into, well, Subarus or motorsports and cars in general. We figured uh, we're talking about things and in parts and we're talking to people in the industry and we thought to ourselves you know what we should probably say why somebody might want to listen to us because we could be three ho or two hobos <laughs> three hobos where'd i get that <laughs> we're waiting on the third co-host right now uh well it could just be two hobos on the street talking about the end is nigh but like with no credibility to it so luke how'd you get into cars how did I get into cars? Wow. Okay. So this goes back a little bit of a ways here. Um, I have a, like a lifelong kind of obsession with cars, frankly, uh, as, as small as I can remember, I've been into cars to be honest, but I got into motorcycles and I was rebuilding motorcycle engines when I was about eight or 10 years old. And when I was 17 or 18 years old is where the interest in cars in general, took a sharp turn up and basically I became obsessed with cars because a friend of mine's older brother took me for a ride in his 69 Camaro that was making about 700 horsepower. And from that point forward, I was basically a hot rodder and into performance cars and making big horsepower in any car I had. And in that first time of decade, and this is going back probably about dating myself here, but when I was 18 years old, getting that ride with my friend's older brother, I was, that was like 22 years ago for me. So, you know, going back 20 years uh, is where I really started. And uh, I went for a ride in that car, was hooked, was bitten. The guy basically took me for a burnout from about 20 miles an hour to about 120 miles an hour. Uh, full four-point harnesses, full caged car. It was a drag car with slicks on the back, mini-tubbed. Uh, for those of you who don't know, mini-tub basically means that the inner wheel wells in the back um, and the axles are shortened. Inner wheel wells are extended inwards so you can fit a much wider rear tire and the axles are shortened and uh, a couple other custom things are done to the suspension to allow it to have much wider tires in the back. Um, so he had really wide tires in the back and then he had the skinny narrow drag tires in the front and he, was, he would you know, competitively drag race it all the time. But uh, on this occasion, we were just kind of back behind his house on a straightaway and uh, blew, my, blew me away, blew my mind, to be honest. And from that point forward, I actually went to UTI, uh, Universal Technical Institute, and got my trade school degree in automotive mechanics. And really, the rest is history from there, Jimmy. I, uh, I got into uh, hot rods from there, mostly building small block Chevys and uh, high revving, high horsepower, high cubic inch small block Chevys. And uh, uh, which actually, really, actually, you want to de-stroke a motor to be high revving. So it's a little bit of a, of a misleading thing to say there. But nevertheless, uh, all different types of motors, high performance motors for Chevys were started. And, and then I got into Volkswagens, Volkswagens, and there's a whole story there we can dive into. But the Volkswagens, I was into for about a decade. And that's where I got into flat four motors. And I really kind of fell in love with the simplicity of flat four motors. And the Volkswagen flat four motors and the high performance stuff I was involved in that. I got into sand drag racing. There's a whole story there. For years, I was involved in sand drag racing. 
um, that whole thing led to getting into Subarus because I was kind of into the whole flat four motor design. I really fell in love with how compact they were, how simple and how low a center of gravity they were for cars and for motorsport applications. And so I kind of started checking out Subarus and about a decade ago, I got my first Subaru and loved it. It was actually not a high performance car. It was just a 1998 Forester with a 2.5 liter naturally aspirated, um, but loved it. Used it as a daily driver for many years. It was when I was out in Colorado going to grad school. And uh, that led to getting involved in some like local rallycross stuff with Subarus and just buying more and more Subarus. And to be honest, since then, uh, with the exception of one like little hot rod that I flipped, I've really only bought Subarus for the last 10 years. And uh, that's what I drive as a daily driver. That's what I drive uh, for all my motorsport stuff. I have three Subarus right now. We can talk about those and the builds and all the future plans for those. But um, that's kind of where I got into cars is uh, childhood fascination with cars and then the passenger seat of a high horsepower 69 Camaro and biting me. So how about you? How'd you get into cars, Jimmy? I know it's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but how'd you get into cars? I absolutely love how, and, and this might be with every car guy on the planet, you got into somebody else's car and then they were like, yeah, this thing's pretty fast. And you're like, oh, all right, well, I've never really been in a fast car. So yeah, a Prius could be fast at this point. Not that Priuses were around back then, but I love how you get into a car, and again, everybody's probably doing in this position. You get in the car, and then he's like, all right, yeah, you can probably want to hold on to something. And you're like, okay, sure. And then they floor it, and you're, you sink about three inches into the seat. And then you go, I need to do this again. But you don't have your own car to do that. And then that's the journey right there. You got to get your own car. You want to do all of that exact same stuff because you keep searching for that feeling of just blasting. Yep. Speed's addictive, man. <laughs> uh, I got into car. I don't even know how cars came into my life. All I, know, all I know is cars. Like from a very young age, like you know, I'm talking like little, super little, like four, three, four years old. I mean, I was watching NASCAR all the time. Uh, Ray's Hale praise Dale you know Dale, Dale Earnhardt Sr. was like the hero like I literally in my room right now I've got a whole section of my wall just quarantined off for just Dale Earnhardt stuff and nice. I'm staring at it right now it all I knew was NASCAR for a long time I remember when I was little I always said like every, people would be like you know when you ask a little kid what do you want to be when you grow up right I just wanted to be a NASCAR driver like there was other better answers for that that pro probably I could have given like doctor or something productive but i just wanted to be a nascar driver the other people all of my other friends are like i want to be an actor like i don't even care about any of that just want to drive cars fast in a circle and uh and i remember even way back then i thought to myself like i never never wanted to do f1 and i knew this when i was little like when i was four i never wanted to do f1 because i saw open wheeled tires touching each other and then like mass explosions happening so I knew I never wanted to do that. And then I saw stage rally and those dudes were absolutely insane. They were going way too fast next to cliffs and trees. I didn't want any part of that, which is really ironic now, but wanted no part of that ever. And so when I was very little, about four years old, I maybe, or in very little, super into NASCAR and then just Hot Wheels. And I just, all I knew was all I've ever been around was cars. 
my uh, my dad super into cars. He let's see, what is the first hot rod? I, can we consider a 1993 Ford Lightning a hot rod? Is that a hot Absolutely. rod? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so I got one of those in my driveway right now, and I've known this car my whole life, and like literally from when I was born, all the like forever. This car, is, this truck has always been around, and I think that might be the first like quote unquote fast car that I was ever in, and uh, yeah, ever since then I was like, oh yeah, like even today, like I know that Lightning's not that fast compared to like today's standards. Like I have my that WRX I have is far faster than that Lightning is at the moment or when it was stopped but that lightning was the coolest fastest thing on the block had a basani exhaust on it and the thing was just opened up and loud and i was like oh yeah this is it i so i was around that and nascar and i had hot wheels all over the place and my dad always liked hot rodding that lightning um his dad my grandpa he maybe this is a generational thing i'm thinking about it like a, a genetic. This is genetic. This is a genetic thing. Has to be cars. Actually, uh, in fact, my thing might even start from my grandpa too. So go ahead and finish up your grandpa and the rest of this one. But I'll dive back to this with the grandpa thing. And let so you know my grandpa went and he was kind of famous for racing anything that had a motor. If it had any sort of way to produce, make a liquid turn into speed. He was all about it. He raced uh, drag raced cars. He raced snowmobiles. I think he raced boats at a time or something. And then back to drag racing. If, and if it was a Corvair, he was drag racing it. If it was a Chevette, he was drag racing it. He didn't care. If it was a Mustang, like Model 2, like that four-banger, he didn't care. He was drag racing it. And that probably is pro why uh, uh, my grandma and him got divorced and now I have two sets of grandparents is because he literally raced everything he could get his hands on. It's like, she was like, I want to buy a, like a, I think, a, what is it? The, the Chevelle wagon. What are those called? I can't think of that. Uh, whatever that is. He got her like a Chevelle wagon and he was like, all right, this is going to be your car. We're not going to race it. This is, this is going to be it. I'm just going to race the Chevy Monza. And then this Monza broke, but we still need to make it to the drag strip. So then he took it with some Mickey Thompson's and sent that. So then that probably got passed down to my dad where my dad was like, I really like racing things. Now, I don't think he actually raced a whole lot of stuff because life happens. I probably haven't. Um, and, uh, but he, he's always been around, like liked cars, racing cars, motorcycles, things like that. And then all of that kind of just tumbled into me being around NASCAR and that lightning and just other things like that. So, moving forward past that i think that's where it started potentially yeah i've always kind of been into cars ever since then like video games are revolving around cars like i don't know all the grand trismos i've midnight clubs anything where you can like play a video game and you were racing a car i was all about it all of my friends always knew i was the car guy even like i was in kindergarten i was the car guy and uh then fast forward to i think i was 11 uh, we, me and my dad went to, I think, Irwindale Speedway for a kart race where he was like, oh, yeah, I kind of wanted to check this out because these are kind of cool. And uh, after that, I was like, oh, man, I, that's really cool. I really want to do that. And he was like, you want to get a go-kart? And I was like, sure. Like, it's a lot of money, but, I mean, I'm not going to say no. And then all of a sudden, we got a go-kart. Now, 
my parents don't have like loads of money. Like we're not loaded by any means. So, I mean, the, the go-kart was kind of a big deal for him and me. I mean, it was awesome for me because I got to race a go-kart, but it was a big deal for him because, you know, he got his kid a go-kart and it turned out I wasn't half bad at it, which added some more, I don't know, significance to it. Made it a little bit better than he went and got that. And uh, so when we started racing out at uh, Willow Springs at the kart track and doing a little racing here and there, I did that from like when I was 11 to when I was about 15. And kart racing is expensive. It is stupid expensive. If you have for one moment, Luke, if you think, well, those are little, uh, there's no way that they can cost as much because of their size, you're 100% wrong. Like a little... 125 cc uh touch and go motor for a go-kart costs like three grand jesus yeah i bought a miata for five hundred dollars and then raced that instead because that was five hundred dollars and not three grand for a motor i bought five hundred dollar car whole thing I the dog in the background, by the way everybody we got a little bit of a open studio today and we got the dog in the background barking it's okay. There's a mailman driving an Evo. <laughs> it's got dogs are trained. Come on. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, what was it? Yeah, so go-karts are stupid expensive. So when I was 15, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get a job and then I'm going to like help out with funding go-kart racing and stuff. And uh, then the job happened and I couldn't go racing because working was on the weekend and racing was on the weekend and I could never get those days off for some reason. So go-karting kind of got put on a hold. Yep. And uh, so when I was 16, I was 16, 16, 17, 17 years old, I think 16, 17. Um, my grandparents knew the, this old couple in like mammoth and they were selling a car family friends, I guess. And they were like, Hey, do you, do you know anybody that would want this car? And my grandparents are like, Oh yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think our grandson might need a car. He's 16. He needs to get, he's got a job now. He's got to go to school and go to work and do all that kind of stuff. And she was like, Oh yeah, we'll just, uh, get him in contact with me. We'll talk to him. Yada, yada. Right. So I talked to this old lady and super nice, super sweet. And she just, she's like, what do you think you can afford to pay the car and she tells me it's a Subaru and I was like immediately in my head I'm like it's an 04 it's an STI it's got the wing oh it's blue it's got the gold rims right just because Subaru nice and uh because I have that poster on my wall so I figured that's exactly what it was I was like I don't know like just give I don't have a lot of money I tell me a price and she was like well I'll give it to you for like 125 dollars and I was like oh, I'll be up there this like tonight like, what are you talking about? She was like, yeah, just $125. And cause you know, we're, we're not using it and we'd like to see it go to somebody that would use it. And I was like, all right, well you got a deal. So went up to mammoth, got this car, $125. And it was a 1997 2.2 liter automatic Subaru Impreza. And I went, wow. this is a pile of trash. It looks like a Corolla it's like this is not what i expected at all i didn't even ask for pictures or anything i just was like i'm in right 225 dollars car and uh so i was totally like not enthusiastic about this car at all i was like complaining the whole time like an ungrateful little crap and so i was super unenthusiastic about this car i remember my mom was like you know what if you don't like that car i'll go get you one of those uh old 60s vw bugs which i'm like please 
Like I know the aftermarket for that is incredible and you can make those into rockets. Please, I would take a bug. 100% will take a bug. Take the motor out, four bolt. Um, but that never happened. And I'm really glad it didn't happen because then I found a video of, uh, I think I was watching ESPN with my dad and there was a, it was a rally video and it was like, oh, like WRC classics or something. And it was Colin McRae ripping around that car, not that exact car, but like that model car, four door Corolla looking car around like Monte Carlo or something. And I was like, what is going on here? Did a little bit more research. And then that car went from like a crappy grandma car that I didn't really want because it wasn't the car that was on my wall to this is the coolest car on the planet in yeah. like one day. Nice. And I think that uh, that might just be how I kind of propelled myself into the Subaru community because of a Colin McRae video and an old couple in Mammoth. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> prior to that, I mean, my whole family, I mean, my, my whole family, my, my, my dad, even though he's got like four, he's a super into Mustangs. He's, we're all into like all cars, right? We're not like, like, oh yeah, well we like Ford, so we can't like Chevys. Like we like Chevys, you like cars in general. Yeah except for Prius. Nobody likes a Prius. Um, Massively into like Dodges, like a big Mopar, no car kind of family minus the no car. Like I was just saying, but super into Mopars. And I was like, Oh man, I really want to get like a Dodge of some sort. So glad that I didn't do that. (laughs) Like I still want a challenger today, but like not more than I would want my Subaru that's in my garage at the moment. But, that's kind of how I don't know. That's that's kind of how I got into cars. Like it's it's a, it's a genetic thing, I think, and NASCAR and Hot Wheels. But we'll go back to like. All right, tell me about this car. This car that you got. What was that first Subaru that you got? The first Subaru that I got. Um. So the first Subaru I got was a '98 Forester 2.5 liter naturally aspirated, and. I got it when I moved out to Colorado in uh, 2010. So it's actually about nine years ago, nine and a half years ago. And I, uh, I sold it. I actually, I didn't sell it. I bought it when I sold my Volkswagen Vanagon. And uh, that Vanagon was, you know, powered by a flat four motor as well. Those had a, uh, I think a 2.1 liter, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's been a little while. Fuel injected motor, water cooled. And that Vanagon I had was an 88 uh, Westfalia Vanagon, like pristine condition. I took it camping and stuff. I, I actually had Volkswagen Vanagons for about, you know, six or eight years. And I rebuilt the engines on a couple of them. Um, and they were all flat four motors. Um, and you mentioned a bug. I'm kind of digressing here a bit. But I'd have a couple bugs as well. Um, one of my first cars when I was like 16 years old was a uh, bright blue Baja bug with an 1835cc motor dual Weber 45 carburetors, big ass knobby uh, mud train, BF Glitter's tires in the back, a uh, light fiberglass front, like front end on it, uh, like the one piece fenders and hood. Um, and that little sucker was badass, had a lot of torque. And uh, I could do like a little wheeling that thing in the high school parking lot, as a matter of fact, uh, especially if I was slightly rolling back, which is really bad to do on your transmission and your differential. Don't ever do that. But Rolling back a mile or two, popping the clutch. I do like a solid one foot fucking wheelie on that with that little bug because the motor sticks out the back, you know, and all the weights off the back on the big tires. And if you leaned back a little bit in the seat, I was mentioned that would help it pop a little bit easier too. Yeah. (laughs) But 
So I, I have a long history of the flat four motors, um, starting with that Baja bug when I was 16 years old, which incidentally was stolen out of my driveway after only owning it for about a year. Uh, during the day, like late dusk, got stolen out of my driveway, fired a, filed a police report, uh, and the police found it the next day down by the docks, stripped and burned. True story. Oh. Um, first car of mine that was ever stolen. I didn't have insurance on it either at that time. I had like couldn't get smog on it and I let the insurance lapse and then the freaking thing gets stolen and burned and it ended up being a total loss. Pretty big bummer on that one. A lesson learned. Um, and actually I ended up having another Baja bug probably like eight or 10 years later randomly when I lived in Northern California first stint and uh, got into speaking. I'm kind of going down a thread of like flat fours right now. Um, when I went to UTI in 2001, which is that's like 2000, 2001, which is now like 19 years ago, 20 years ago, um, I basically got into flat fours with a guy that I graduated from the school with and we opened up a shop. We opened up a little like uh, motorsport shop called Never Enough Racing. And we basically did like engine build, balance and blueprint motors. I was in the small block Chevys and domestic motors at the time. He was into Mopars and these flat four motors he raced in his sand dragsters. And uh, so basically when I hooked up with him, we became friends when we were at UTI. Um, we actually ended up living together, like, you know, not living together like that, but you know, I ended up renting a room from him because he had a house out there. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then we opened up a shop together, Never Enough Racing, which actually was the same name as his race car. And the race car was actually his dad's racing program. So his dad had been competing and racing in his car at a competitive level, the highest competitive level in sand drag racing, the ASDA, American Sand Drag Racing Association. And uh, his dad had been racing for like 15 years uh, and unlimited in the pro unlimited four cylinder class, which is basically guys running alcohol and nitromethane and, you know, any kind of supercharger, turbocharger or, uh, you know, supercharged and, and so he had been racing this engine and this car and this whole motorsport program. They had a full top fuel dragster chassis. And uh, I know I'm going to digress here, but it's necessary to paint a picture of uh, the car and, and how it got me into flat fours and high performance flat fours. So basically had this like, you know, top fuel chassis, two frame chassis, chromoly chassis, um, just like you kind of see at the drag strips, you know, top fuel looking kind of uh, vehicles at the drag strip. And, but the motor was a 3,500cc all billet block, custom machined. Uh, I think it was done by BAE. I can't remember though, it's 20 years ago and they're the ones that did all the machining. I wasn't really involved in getting the engine built and stuff. Um, but I know that it was 3,500cc, uh, pretty high compression um, for a turbo motor. Uh, I think maybe nine, nine and a half compression. That's high for a turbo motor. Um, they're running alcohol though, which keeps the temperatures cooler uh, with a little couple drops of nitromethane and a few percent nitromethane mixed in with the fuel. Uh, so they're running alcohol turbocharged 3500 cc flat four motor all billet block uh, and it was mechanical fuel injection as a matter of fact it was a kinsler fuel injection system all mechanical uh, and they had a big turbo ball bearing turbo uh, I think it was a Garrett turbo ceramic ball bearings and uh, they would push about 43 44 45 pounds boost through that motor and well, what uh, year was this? this was uh, I mean I got involved around 2000 2001 they broke the national record with that vehicle, I think in 98, 99. And the record they broke, or their, their record setting pass for, it, it was at the national championships in Laughlin uh, for the ASDA you know, uh, series, was uh, I think 2.88 seconds at 185 miles an hour, something right around there. Um, 
So that's to give you an idea of how fast these like, you know, paddle tires on a top fuel chassis can, can accelerate. And it's only a hundred yard sprint too. So it's safe to say that the whole closed deck block idea isn't anything new. It's not anything new. I think like, you know, one-off custom machined motorsport programs, like custom made motorsport program engines have been, you know, teams and builders have been making uh, fully closed deck blocks for a long time. But IEG, going off another tangent, like is one, I feel like they're one of the companies and there's a lot of machine shops that will do closed block essentially by doing, you know, machining out and putting inserts in a, um, a Subaru motor. But I feel like IEG is one that's kind of getting it out to the mass public in a way at a mass scale, you know what I mean? Um, and they also just introduced, incidentally, they just introduced a number of um, certified installation shops where they'll sell their, I believe their closed deck blocks are included in the program. Well, they'll have a two year, 24,000 mile warranty, right? Have you heard about that? Yeah, that's uh, there's a shop down here that's one of the dealers for it or the vendors yeah. or whatever the whatever it is for it yeah yeah up here too um eq tuning here in northern california is one of them um pretty cool very cool actually to two-year twenty-four thousand mile warranty for basically a race motor um i wonder what the small print is on that and how they really verify whether or not it was due to abuse or you know things like that that's that's gonna be an interesting one i think out front motorsports has a closed deck block too right yeah yeah, I believe so. There's a couple of companies about it. IAG definitely is one of the more, uh, at least to me, more prevalent companies. And their marketing must be doing really well because they're in Virginia and I know about them. Outfront yeah. Motorsports is right over the hill for me, like in LA. And I did not go to them. <laughs> I went to uh, I went to IAG for that closed deck box. But so, top top fuel dragster with a Volkswagen motor in it that's insanely huge. I'm assuming this is a four banger, right? Four cylinder, 3,500 cc, but with huge. Folgers coffee can for a piston. Yeah, the pistons were actually uh, off the shelf Chevy big block pistons. So they could just use, you know, forge, uh, you know, JE pistons or something like that for the motor. It, made, it was one like consideration you can ad adapt to the motor when you're custom designing it and seeing, seeing the block from scratch. So. That was a pretty cool thing they did. And that motor made about 1,200 horsepower instantly. And I don't think the car wet weight was probably more than, you know, 1,400, 1,450 pounds. So That's amazing. I, I, don't, I don't think I, I can even imagine being in something that's close to one-to-one for a power-to-weight ratio. Yeah, yeah, especially at that level, too. It's freaking insane. Um, and that thing would just do a rooster and a wheelie, you know, fucking the whole length, basically. You know, it's, when they dropped a hammer lit all the jugs and the thing is just like you know running running on all four perfect uh you know like they say all four candles lit like the thing is just doing a wheel stand the whole way down just launching faster than it looks physically possible ridiculous those things have passenger seats yeah no <laughs> dang it but the sand drag scene is insane i mean there's lots of people down there with their jeeps you know the sand drag scene is pretty badass there's guys all different classes you can race with a four cylinder quad like i'm not four cylinder you can race with a quads you know those four-wheeler motorcycles yeah uh, and they throw the pad paddles on them they do extended swing arms on them so they'll have this long ass you know fr uh wheelbase with paddles on the back and those things will just launch and that's just like i'd be crazy it's like a, you know a, a, a fucking drag bike kind of ride and then they'll do like people will be out there with their jeeps their old like cjs and shit with like huge wide paddle tires and like blown big big blocks making 800 horsepower 
just like rocking their fucking jeeps down it's like insane dude it's a pretty cool scene i'm gonna have to go we're, we're gonna have to go to pismo beach one day and do this or yeah. see this <laughs> they've got to do have that at pismo right like there's the guys with the paddles but there's no i don't think there's any sanctioned races down there you got to go no. to like i think laughlin is where they still hold the uh nationals every year that's not too far from us no that's way closer to me than you yeah that's i think about three hours but anyway that's a tangent we'll google that later that's yeah. that'll be a separate thing but okay so sand drags were engines yeah flat four motors that's what really got me into high performance flat four motors and opened up my eyes to the potential of flat four motors for high performance you know realizing the flat four motor can physically make those kind of numbers means that you know flat four motors can potentially be as competitive as a v8 motor because i was kind of in the v8s in that, at that time and all about you know making you know, horsepower V8 motors. Um, Which, let's be honest, takes absolute no skill to do anymore. Just on a, just on a, a little more of a, just a self-challenge to do it with a, with a boxer engine, a boxer configuration. It's a little bit more of a rewarding feeling when you get some pretty significant numbers. I know whenever I talk to people about my, my YWRX and that thing making, yeah, for people listening, it has this six-speed in the rear diff for his STI. Uh, I think this my car made like one twelve on one twelve octane, like five hundred and five horsepower on like stock location turbo, and I told people that, and they were like, "What?" Or no, you, there's no way. Like, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It could be off here or there. I mean, I don't know what the dyno was feeling that day, but I mean, yeah, that's what they that's what they told me, and it definitely feels like it. If you got a V eight now." Maybe easier to do it is is better because it might be a little cheaper. But if you ain't got like a crate engine V8 or just picked a V8 out of a junkyard and you're like, I wanted to make a lot of power, you get like some cams and a set of long two long runner headers or something. And I mean, you're already there for big power. No effort at all for those V8s. A little bit more rewarding when you get some like 400, 500 numbers going on a Subaru, at least to me. I feel a lot more rewarded. Like, yeah, this is awesome. And it sounds good the whole time. That's what I was going to actually say right there. You were like, read my mind. Um, I feel like making 500 horsepower from a four-cylinder motor is obviously stretching the motor a lot more than V8. Obviously, displacement is, uh, there's no replacement for displacement in a sense. And you got to stretch a motor and push it to its max a lot closer with a four-cylinder to get those kind of numbers. But when a four-cylinder is making those kind of numbers, it just sounds like a wicked, screaming, badass motor like any motor does, I guess, when it's being stretched to its limit. You know what I mean? A V8 screaming at 8,000 or 9,000 RPM sounds wicked. You know, so is a V12. So, Yeah, that's, I don't know, it's just it's some, maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe somebody listening to this could be like, yeah, this guy's retarded. But it feels a lot better to me whenever I get, like, one of these cars to get, crank out some, like, big numbers than it would if I just had, like, a 5.0 Mustang and did, like, a couple things to it or like an LS and did a cam. And then it was like, yeah, this is uh, it's making 600 horsepower. It really didn't do a whole lot for it, but it's fun, which don't get me wrong. It's still fun. No matter how you get there, it's still fun. I'm just saying like personally rewarding having a motor that is called a boxer literally fights itself the whole time. And it's still doing that. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's just me. No, I, I like it too. I hear you. I mean, I'm a fan. It sounds like you come from family. It just appreciates all different types of makes and models of car. And I'm the same, really. I mean, I like all different kind of engines, internal combustion engines, snowmobiles, motorcycles, 
you know, power skateboards. I don't care what the fuck it is, you know, I'll motorized scooters. Like I'm into anything motorized, just like you. And uh, I like all high performance stuff, but I have a special place in my heart for Subarus. I've also kind of like chosen to like dive into being in kind of niche area of Subaru where all I do is like work on Subarus now. And there's a reason for that, actually. I mean, the reason I like Subarus is kind of continuing this like evolution of this thought train is like, although you can make the same horsepower or easier, you can make more horsepower with a V8 motor easier. Um, and it, it takes more to do it with a flat four motor. Volkswagens and Subarus are both flat four motors. Flat four motors have that low center of gravity and it's really an unmatched feel to almost any other V8 or almost many V6s out there to have like a high horsepower four cylinder motor and you gotta have a turbo four cylinder to get there that's flat four design with an all wheel drive system and manual transmission. And I mean, that's ultimately why I am chosen to get into Subarus. Like I got into cars 20 plus years ago. I was in the cars 30 plus years ago as a kid, fascinated with cars and just checking them out and loving them as a kid. I had Hot Wheels just like you. Every time I was doodling, I was drawing cars. Uh, every time I was into video games, my Nintendo RC program was one of my favorite games. Like I had totally been into cars and every little facet that I was involved in in life. And uh, you know, I got into cars when I could drive when I was 16, obviously you kind of got to wait for that milestone in your life to really have the hands-on experience. And, and then got exposed you know, to the, to, the, to the 69 Camaro making the big horsepower and got into uh, domestic engines and Chevys and building engines when I went to UTI. Um, but it's been a lifelong evolution, passion with cars that has landed me at Subarus because I got into these, you know, high performance motorsport stuff with my Chevy small block engines. And that's when I was drag racing and circle track racing. We didn't talk about circle track racing. And, and then I got and got into the uh, score off road scene. I went down to Baja and did the whole Baja 1000, the 500 many years in a row with a, with a motorsport team called the cops racing team. And uh, we actually raced four cylinders in that uh, the class fours, I believe. And, um, and, which we're definitely going to have to have a conversation because we're, we're going down to Baja this year and in class 11 with the VW bug. <laughs> nice. That's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to have to have a whole podcast on Baja because I got some crazy stories to share with you on Baja, like from the pits and from uh, sabotages and uh, like not sabotages by other teammates or other competitors, but by the, by the fans. Like basically, the bridge in the dirt. like basically booby traps, they would say. So booby traps on the course drunken spectators driving up course crazy crazy strip club fucking stories uh and everything in between there's yeah definitely talk about. we definitely need that because i need to get prepared for this but that is definitely going to be a different podcast but tell me with specifically subarus in racing okay so coming back to subarus, where did we you know, get there yeah so i was saying the evolution i mean basically i'm in the subarus and i've been in the subarus for about a decade but like I was saying, it was an evolution of all the different like cars and motorsports and racing I was involved in. You know, I was involved in all these different cars and racing and motorsports. And about a decade ago, I kind of fell into owning a Subaru um, by buying this Forester when, when I went to Colorado. But I also kind of at the same time kind of realized what I wanted from a car and exactly what I wanted from a car from the motorsports perspective was I wanted a car that was all wheel drive, a manual transmission, lightweight so that it would be nimble and so that it would accelerate and decelerate most efficiently and and hopefully the lowest center of gravity you can get 
So if you put all those factors together in one equation, low center of gravity, lightweight, so it's nimble and can accelerate and decelerate most efficiently, all wheel drive system, the capability to have high horsepower, which means for a small displacement engine, you're gonna have to have a turbocharger most likely, um, and a manual transmission, and it would be nice if it was good looking. Uh, to me, Subaru is one of the best platforms for that, frankly. I think Subaru is the only platform for that. It really is. I mean, it's by like, well, there's Porsche. Architectural design is why I landed with Subarus in a sense. You know what I mean? Like they're the ones that have chosen that architecture and that design philosophy. And to me, that's the epitome of the perfect combination of factors that you want for a car to compete in motorsports and to be fun for a daily driver. I think that just, just to be mentioned, because I think I said, I think that was the only one. I think that we can classify a couple Porsches into that, but yep. there's a big difference between Porsche and Subaru in the fact that uh, Subaru doesn't have a tax on it and Porsche does. <laughs> um, and I just don't really want anything German. I like Japanese things. They seem to work a lot better. Japanese has, uh, yeah, they have a culture of, of being really rigorous, I think, and over-engineering things. And I love that about their cars and about their engines. You know, there's a reason the 2JZ is such a badass motor. And it's because that culture of engineers from that country builds really, really over-engineered and badass things, especially in internal combustion engines, you know? And, I mean, say what you want about Subarus and, and some of their little stereotypes here and there. I mean, they've been using the exact same motor for their performance car for how many years now? Almost 20 years. Yeah, the EJ went forever. The EJ25, EJ, whatever. EJ, I think the EJ25 they've been using for at least 15 plus years. I mean, there's got to be something to say. At least 91. Oh, yeah, because there's a 2.5 RS. Right. So um, we've been using that motor for how long? And I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes there's problems. But yeah, if it ain't the broke, design is there. Crucify you for that statement. That's funny. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I might, I don't know. If there was a comic session or if we, if we had a Twitter, I mean, it might get lit, be lit up right now. But, I mean, you, you have to have an amount of confidence in what you've designed to do that for that long is all I'm trying to say. Yep, I agree. And uh, not just the motor design, but the all-wheel drive and the symmetrical all-wheel drive systems that they've had. You know, my wife is actually into Toyotas, here tangent on all-wheel drive systems. This is totally anecdotal, 100%. But my wife has always been in Toyotas, and we lived in Colorado for five years, so she had a couple different Toyotas in a row. And we always had to have all-wheel drive Toyotas for her, and I always had Subarus the entire time we were there. And I probably had, you know, five or six different Subarus as daily drivers while we were there, because I was always just buying more and swapping them out and stuff. And uh, I swear to God, like when we had icy days or um, really icy incline, we we're trying to get up on a driveway. The Subaru almost every single time would like would outperform her Rav4's all-wheel drive system with like relatively equal tires. Cause a lot of times we'd buy new snow tires or new all drive tires at the same time. So, right. I mean, that's totally anecdotal. I get it, but I, I'm really convinced that the all wheel drive system in Subaru is far superior in like icy conditions for sure. It's, it's, I mean, I'll throw the white collar on for a second here uh, and start preaching, but it, I mean, it's far superior to almost every other all wheel drive system there is because I mean, whenever you see like a Honda CRV, and it's like all wheel drive. It's not all wheel drive. It's front wheel drive and it's got a rear assist, but the rear assist don't work. We search any video of an all like them comparing all wheel drive systems and then they go and throw one of the cars on like uh, an incline with rollers and only one of the wheels doesn't have a roller on it. 
most yeah. times, it's almost every single time. One of the, like a like a Honda, a Toyota, uh, a Ford, uh, any other thing that's all wheel drive or claims to be all wheel drive never actually climbs up the rollers. It just spins, and the computer doesn't like see that it's lost traction and never engages the rear wheels. The only ones that ever get up the dang rollers is Subaru or sometimes Volkswagen on some Volkswagens. It's not, I don't even understand how that's not even like across the board Volkswagens, but there's some Volkswagens that will go up the rollers. But every single time they've ever done it, Subarus go up because they have an actual all-wheel drive system that just all works. There's no computers engaging clutches, and if there are, it's either to lock a diff or not lock a diff. That's it. Yep. I know. So Subaru is work. Time. And they've been refining it for a long time, for like decades. Plus, when you're racing a Subaru, I mean, I've, I've raced Miatas, I've raced rear-wheel drive cars, front-wheel drive cars, and all-wheel drive cars. There's a lot more understeer with Subarus than there are with most cars. But in most every-day conditions – comparing all three of the things it feels like with an all-wheel drive car that god is playing with hot wheels and is grabbing your car in particular <laughs> and is like oh yeah we're gonna go through the road right here yeah. i mean it just grips it does i know all-wheel like, drive i'll take the collar off now I'll come back to my sermon uh next week <laughs> um but it. yeah all-wheel drive cars are kind of a joke until it comes to Subarus because Subarus are the only ones that actually seem to get it right. Now, I'm not talking about four-wheel drive. That's different. 100% different. Even though I still think all-wheel Like, I've outclimbed Jeeps in certain places with my green 97 Impreza. Which, incidentally, you're on a pretty serious winning streak in the, in the you know, California Rallycross series with that sucker. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm kind of stretching it out. You know, what's funny is when I started, okay. So I got into racing when I was go-karting. Right. And then when I got this car, I was like, this is a joke. And then I saw the Colin McRae video and I went, this thing is nowhere near a joke. This thing's awesome. And then I started, when I turned 18, I was like, Oh, I need to like, I want to get back into racing. So then I did a quick Google search on how to, I think, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was something I Googled something like Subaru Impreza, racing or racing cars local racing super impressive and then just showed up with a rally cross and i was like i don't know what this is and then i tried to do some uh some research on it and found absolutely nothing on how to what it was i didn't know i literally had no idea what i was getting into but i signed up for it anyway because i was like we're gonna go me and my dad are like we'll make a day we'll make a little trip out of it and uh wasn't that big of a trip because it ended up being san Bernardino, and i'm not that it's like an hour and a half from from me but uh Nice. And when I first got there, people saw that car and they were like, the thing's dumb. Like they kind of knew what it was. They know, like most people there knew what it was because Rallycross is kind of a Subaru heavy uh, type of sport. There's a lot of other cars there, obviously, but I mean, there's a lot of Subarus. Subarus right? I think um, it feels like 50% Subarus every time. Right. Yeah. I mean, if there's an all wheel drive class, which there is, there's like at three. least three, they're all Subarus. Yeah. But, um, so people knew what that kind of car that was, but when they started looking it over, they're like, oh yeah, thing's dumb. It's an automatic. It's naturally aspirated. Don't have to worry about that thing at all, which they were 100% right about. I was a joke. Just happy to be out there. Like, wasn't going that fast. Got, or in, got Being used to go-kart stuff 
And then going into that, that was like a night and day flip. Yeah. That 100, that's a completely different like set of skills that you, to a little toolbox that you need out there is way different than what you need on like a road course. And uh, so I did that for like, like I think that year I did like one event or two events and I was like, yeah, it was pretty fun. I don't know when I'm going to go out there again. And then, then about the Miata, cause I really wanted to get back into go-kart racing. But to be in the class that I needed to be in, they were like, yeah, so you're going to need this uh, motor that costs three grand. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to get back to you on that. So I don't, I'm 18, 19 years old. I don't have three grand to just drop on a go-kart. And that wasn't like the wheels or tires. That wasn't a total go-kart. That was just the motor to get into class. So that was kind of like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not about that at all. And uh, then I found a $500 Miata. And I was like, I'm going to get that. Best, one of the best decisions I could have ever made in my entire life because it saved me a lot more money than that three grand. Um, bought a Miata. The guy thought it blew up. Didn't blow up. It just skipped timing. So I retimed it. And then I had a little like road course car. So I did that for like a year, right? I tried doing this thing called the Roadster Cup. Uh, and that turned out to be horribly expensive because tires are not cheap especially when you're going through them like like two events and then they're gone yeah and so then i got back into uh rally crossing because i went you know i thought to myself you know i got did rally crossing i got snow tires the very first event i got snow tires i won that event and so i mean that's obviously a good taste in the mouth right like you did good so event like you should be going back to that right just human totally. nature i imagine yeah um so, and then I thought to myself, I did a lot of races with those snow tires and my buddy Ryan is, was at that time currently using the snow tires. So we'll do that because tires are cheaper there than they are for, with all of this road course, not time attack nonsense. So went back to rally crossing and I think I won, I won a championship on four-year-old snow tires, and then I won a second championship with five, the same snow tires that were at that point were five years old. And this year, I'm working on my third championship in a row nice. with uh, a faster class, which, just a little update, I did buy new tires, but they were like actual stage rally tires. So way better than yeah, snow tires. I'd assume. Yeah, bumped up into the prepared class, but nothing's really prepared about that car other than it having gravel rally tires. I mean, the thing's got oh blown out OEM and row struts, OEM replacement struts, and I just learned the other day from the alignment shop that my lower control arms are completely shot out, like a like a meth head in Vegas, completely shot out. Um, and that and it makes a lot of sense because the car's driving itself and it's walking all over the place. So I think I've getting I've got a lower control arms on order as of right now. They should be coming in hopefully soon. Sweet. And, and I could get my car aligned. But yeah, everybody made fun of that car and because it was naturally aspirated in an automatic. And I have been campaigning the crap out of that thing and getting good at it and just seat time, seat time, seat time. And now um I gotta knock on wood because I don't wanna I don't wanna inflate the ego or anything, but I mean I'm pretty pretty good with that car, and it's an automatic, which I, is is kind of getting other people on the automatic train. And I don't want that. I like sticks. I wish it was a stick. I wish it was a five-speed. 
but it's There's advantages to having an automatic. There is a lot of advantages to having an automatic. Like I don't got a, sh- I don't got a clutch. I can still shift gears. I could still control all the gearing. Like I can pin that thing out in first gear. It will never shift on me. And when I put it into first gear, but we like a, we can do that with a manual too. If you have to the- definitely do that with a manual, but every time you clutch in on a manual, you lose forward momentum just for a hair bit. I don't care how fast you think you are. You're, for a little se- a couple seconds, you're or hundreds of a second, you're losing forward momentum. With automatic, that thing just slips and goes. Yeah, that's that's the fundamental difference, and that's also the fundamental disadvantage to a manual transmission is the loss of time and forward momentum during shifts, right? So if you have a course with lots of shifting between gears, a manual transmission is even exposed for its weakness even more, right? Right, and I don't know. I don't know past that, but like if what the turbo effect is with a manual to a, with an automatic for all yeah, that kind of stuff. Too. There's a little bit of effect there too. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, that was that first car, $125. And the thing is just, I don't know, it's just awesome. Stupid awesome. So, I mean, and then that kind of got me because of uh, Subarus are awesome. And one of my most favorite Subarus was uh, the hatchback. Uh, like 20, 2008 to 2014 uh, hatchback STIs and WRXs. So badass. Yeah. yeah, I love those. Then I got the opportunity to get one of those, and I was like not passing that up. And that was a bad the, addiction. Note on that, on those, on that generation, I kind of wish they kept the WRX body style the same and didn't change those fenders to look like the STIs. You know what I'm saying? How that first year, the WRX and STI looked totally different. Yeah, there was the narrow body and the wide body. Yeah, and then they like they had to make WRX look like the STI, and that kind of dilutes the fucking how badass the STI is, you know. Well, I could say personally because my car is the WRX and has the flared out fenders that I am very appreciative yeah. that they did that because yeah. I mean when I was looking at the looking for that car because I just kind of figured to myself because I had a Mini Cooper, right? I had a Mini Cooper, and I thought that thing was like the like the bee's knees. I thought that thing was awesome, and then it broke a lot. A lot more than any of my fucking Subarus have. I will have it, okay? That car broke all the time. And I'm just as hard on my Subarus as I am on that thing, as I was on that. And that thing just loved, loved breaking. Just stupid plastic stuff. So I've, I got rid of that because I, I blew up a third turbo and I went, I'm done with this car. I am not dealing with this anymore. Sold that off to some other poor bastard. And I uh, then was like, I'm looking for Subarus, right? But specifically that hatchback and specifically the STI because I want the six speed. I want the heavier duty running gears. I want everything to be like bulked up. And then a buddy of mine was like, yeah, well, I'm thinking about selling my WRX. And I was like, well, I don't want WRX. And then he told me all about it. It's, it's uh, six speed swapped. Uh, everything's awesome about it. It just needs some things here and there. And I was like, okay, I'm in. I would love to pay insurance on a WRX, but have the STI. Good point. How and that's know? how I ended up with that. That's a good point. That's a big. That's a that's a big time advantage, huh? Right, because I'm under 25, and they go, "Yeah, you're under 25, male. Yeah, you're gonna race this thing," which they are 100% right about. But <laughs> I don't appreciate paying the insurance. If they had any idea how much horsepower the engine was making, they'd bump your fucking. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. The rates on that thing would be uh, uh, astronomical. <laughs> but thankfully, it's a WRX. And it's got the wide body, and I'm real happy about all of that. Yep. But, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. So, so that's your, you have both Subarus now, right? You still have the green machine. I know you still have the green machine because you're racing it this year. Yep. You got the STI, the 2011, you said? Uh, 2012, yeah. 2012. 2012 WRX with the STI driveline, essentially. 
Right. That's getting an IAG block currently. Oh, so yeah, that's the one we're working on. Yeah, that's the one you're working on. And uh, is that what kind of block does that have? That's going to have a. Uh, it's going to be the 2.5, uh, stage 2.5 closed deck block. Closed deck block. With the right. awesome ARP head studs and really not screwing around with this one because that last motor, it kind of. It kind of popped on me, but it really didn't. It just, I found out that the uh, the head nut on one of the heads backed off like a, a little bit. Yeah. And that was it. The head gasket was fine. I still have the head gaskets. They're Cosworth head gaskets that were on it, and they were great. Huh. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't use them again, but in a pinch, maybe, because they're perfect. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you use them again. I don't know. That was, I'll never reuse head gaskets. <laughs> right now, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it, but like, yeah. I don't know. For some reason, if you had to, you definitely could. Like, they're in a pristine condition. So, for all the people that I just said, I just said the car kind of blew up, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, the head gasket went. The head gasket didn't go. A nut backed off. <laughs> Although, it would not be uncommon for the head gasket to go. That's right. It well acknowledged, like, Achilles heel of the Subarus is the head gaskets. Right. And Which, uh, we're going to be doing a podcast on that at some point in the near future. We're already kind of been planning it. Yeah. So... Luke, I got to ask this because you've created quite a following here with uh, Super Only. What happened there? How'd we get there? How'd that happen? Super only. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I guess, like I mentioned, I, I started driving Subarus in about 2010. And uh, I realized after driving my first Subaru for a couple of years and seeing the Subaru scene in Colorado, uh, for those of you guys who don't realize this, like any, I think almost any mountain town or any area where you got a lot of really bad weather, you're going to see a lot of all-wheel drive vehicles. That just makes sense. Um, but in Colorado in particular, in Denver area, the Subaru scene is huge. And I lived out there for about five years. And, uh, you know, I went out there when I went out for grad school. I did fluid mechanics, master's degree out there, uh, which incidentally, one of the reasons I do fluid mechanics, I'm, uh, you know, I work in environmental consulting as a, kind of an engineer to help clean up the environment like groundwater and impacts from chemicals and contaminants to get into groundwater that's my side note but the re one of the reasons i went to fluid mechanics is because fluids flow a lot like air and you know understanding how fluids work uh in engines because i have this parallel passion and lifelong passion for motorsports so no matter what job i do from nine to five I'm involved in motorsports in the evenings. I'm involved in building engines in the evenings and on the weekends I'm involved in motorsports. I have been for over 20 years and I will be for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, wherever I got here. So one of the reasons I wanted to go and get a fluid mechanics master's degree was because I knew that the kind of the fundamental technical knowledge I was going to gain during that master's degree was going to help me in building my engines and, you know, developing kind of innovative solutions for different problems that arise in, you know, um, motorsports and racing. And uh, I, I definitely have taken that away from me. And I've learned a lot about the way fluids flow and a lot about the way frictional forces work and rough surfaces and fluid dynamics. And I understand a lot more about how molecules need to pack in to get through crevices and cracks and things like that. And that has a lot to do with like um, air, the way air flows and the way fluids flow and airflow are kind of similar. So that's just kind of sad tangent. That's one of the reasons I chose that master's degree actually is because I knew it would help me in understanding the way air flows through cylinder heads and, and in combustion chambers and things like that. Um, so back to the Subaru thing uh, and Subaru only. Uh, I got into Subarus in the Colorado scene and uh, 
I basically realized that I wanted to focus in on only racing Subarus probably like seven or eight years ago, a couple years into the Subaru scene in Denver. And, um, and about three years ago, I say, I came up with this idea of Subaru only. And what it basically was, was, you know, the Denver scene was really cool. And after being into the Subaru scene in Denver, and I moved out here to California, back to California in 2015, um, I kind of wanted to like capture how cool the social scene was out in Denver with all the Subarus, because all the Subaru people out there were so awesome. And I quickly realized like all the Subaru out here in California are Subaru people, like the culture of Subaru people, the personalities of the people that like Subarus is like really unique and really uh, down to earth and cool and down to uh, help each other out and, you know, share knowledge and share parts and tools and time and effort. And it's like a super unique, cool subculture of people um, in the motorsports community. So um, to kind of like, I don't know, create something where I could, you know, put out some media content around my builds and my racing aspirations and the things I'm involved in motorsports. Because um, I've been building engines for so long. Uh, I feel like I had a lot to share and I wanted to do a YouTube channel. Um, I knew I wanted to kind of create some kind of video thing, like a DIY video series. I wanted to make it around the Subaru culture. I had chosen to dedicate myself to only racing Subarus because of the fundamental kind of design architecture of the car and the motors. And I came up with Subaru only, basically. Um, it's this concept of like only using Subarus as my preferred you know, vehicle of choice for daily driving, for pleasure, for fun, for racing, uh, for the car shows and the car culture kind of events I get involved in or want to be involved in um, for the people that I want to connect with in the motorsports community it's all Subaru people a lot of the time I mean I'm not against hanging out with people and other stuff I do at all these races you always help out everybody really I mean it's really a subculture of a of a culture of motorsport people that help each other out you know what I mean like one family of people um, so yeah I guess in maybe 2015 and 16 around there I kind of came up with this concept of Subaru only I knew that I wanted to make a podcast or I sorry, a YouTube video kind of channel uh, around the Subaru only thing. Uh, I thought it would be a cool way to kind of bring some people together that had a common interest and uh, maybe get together a bunch of people that would want to go racing together. Um, maybe I got a logo kind of designed. So I, I used actually the Subaru font and World Rally blue color for the word Subaru and then the word only. I got the a graphic designer to design kind of the font used for the STI um for the word only so it's kind of that's kind of the play on the design right there is is a sti and the word only and uh put that together and started the youtube channel a couple years ago um and i guess the next step for it is to kind of you know get together a group of people and just continue growing this idea of you know Subaru subculture and motorsports and whatever it evolves into it will you know right now it's just a youtube channel and now we have this podcast going um, it's been pretty receptive. I think there's a lot of people that are really into Subarus and you know I guess that's the thing I realized too is that like there's got to be a lot of people out like me that found Subarus one way or another fell in love with Subarus for one reason or another and would really be into something like Subaru only where it's a channel dedicated to teaching you about Subarus helping you maintain your Subarus helping you upgrade your Subarus help you evaluate what options are on the market to upgrade your Subaru with and what would be a good decision based on your needs um, what things are, you know, the fundamental kind of mechanical and fluid mechanic reasons behind 
why certain aftermarket parts are a good selection and a good solution to a problem that maybe the manufacturer uh, hadn't addressed with the cars or with the engines. And uh, I guess that's kind of in a nutshell as far as how I started it and where it's at right now. How about you? I know you got Rodnock Racing. How did uh, you come up with Rodnock Racing and what's kind of the, I don't know, the philosophy or the motivation behind Rodnock Racing? Well, uh, Rodnock Racing is more of uh that wasn't the first name, actually. It was just a better name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, originally, it was it was called Sky Ranch, uh, Sky Ranch Motorsports. And Sky Ranch Motorsports is got that name because of a road that's near me called Sky Ranch. It's actually called Sky Haven. It's not even called Sky Ranch. I don't even know where I got that from, but I thought it was called Sky Ranch for a long time. Nice. And, uh, that's kind of where I first started like learning how to drive on a dirt road. Cause I figured if I was going to get good at that whole rally crossing thing, I should probably be good at driving on fire roads really fast because that's a sink or swim mentality that I have. And so there's cliffs. So if I wasn't good, there was in, I wasn't going to be racing ever probably, <laughs> but, uh, got good at that. And then I was like, I'm going to do a thing. And it was called sky ranch rally or sky ranch motorsports. And then that really didn't take off anywhere, and I had no idea how to do anything with that. And then one day, uh, a buddy of ours, me and my buddy Ryan's friend, Lon Peterson, who rally legend around, like he's factory driver for like Kia, Dodge, Hyundai, Mitsubishi, and Subaru. Wow. When stage rally was like really popping around in uh, California and uh, just America before it kind of took its dive, and then it's starting to come back, actually. Um, so he, he looked at the car and, uh, he, Ryan kind of got rod knock and he, Ryan was like, Oh man, I could still drive it, but I got, it's, it's right. Like knocking. And then Lon was like, you shouldn't call yourself sky ranch racing. You should call yourself rod knock racing. And we were like, that is not a half bad idea. <laughs> it's actually, actually not a bad idea that's actually pretty funny we like that a lot and it's like a nice little comical name and uh lon he always had this joke with uh uh another rally car guy that he's that we know his he has a company called condor right c-o-n-d-o-r and then lon's famous joke famous a famous joke they always told he was like hey tony what do you get when you spell condor backwards and tony's like i don't know He's like rod knock, right? R O D N O C, C O N D D O R, right? Condor rod knock, right? So then me and Ryan kind of looked at each other and we we're like, we're totally gonna steal that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It goes perfect with Subarus because rod knock, right? Like I mean, that's kind of the the joke with Subarus is they they get blown a head gasket or they get rod knock. Yep. And totally. uh, so the whole thing with rod knock racing, what really it wasn't like. We, one, we could just kind of wanted our own little team because when we first started r- rally crossing and stuff, we kind of tried to get into the, all the other little clubs and the little groups and stuff. And everybody was just, they seemed super douchey, like super like stuck up. Like you go over and you're like, Hey man, yeah, I got this, I got this car. I really don't know anything about it. And I kind of want to get into it. And they're like, how do you not know what all these acronyms are? And like, yeah, I got, I've got this, uh, I just put in an EJ257 with a R160 and uh or r1 180 in the in the rear with the dccd and at wot i was pulling these numbers and we're just like someone needs to whip a dictionary out i don't know what any of this means so nobody really seemed too inviting (laughs) like in that and just in that little rally cross scene everybody seemed like really stuck up like nose up to people that didn't know what 
things meant or just in general with that whole scene. So we kind of were like, we're going to make a little group and this group is going to promote racing, like rally cross racing in general. Not really. I mean, we're Subaru focused obviously, but I mean, just in general, like if you've got a Prius come out, go racing. So we're trying to give just, I, I guess, coverage and promote uh, local grassroots motorsports and like rallycross and stage rally because yeah. that stuff is way cheaper than anything else that most any other people do and it's safe and legal and it's way more fun than a lot of other things it so rodnock racing which has had pretty decent i guess success i mean it's not like you know we're making money off of any of it but i mean we've had people come up to us at, and I felt horrible about this. Uh, I think it was in January. You were there. That guy, Nick, he came up and he was like, yeah, I was watching one of your videos. And I thought, man, that looks like a lot of fun. So I went and bought a car. And I was like, you bought a car? No, 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 no. Go get a, like a rental car. Go. It, it wouldn't hurt you to know someone with an enterprise in loaning cars to come out here with. Just so you could get a feel if you like it or not. But he went and bought a car. So, and I mean, he's, he's come back too. So I guess he's into it, but like, yeah, just mainly kind of promoting it, trying to get, create like a welcoming feel to anybody that wants to come out because I would hate for somebody to come out and then for people to seem super douchey and they'd be like, yeah, I don't want to be a part of this at all. So that's kind of how Rod Knock started, but nice. nowhere near as technical as anything. Like I use your videos to fix my own cars. Because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a perfect merge, I think, actually. I mean, my whole thing is like more focused around Subarus, obviously, as the name implies. And, but it's all about motorsports, for sure. And the fact that Rod Knock Racing is all about promoting grassroots motorsports. And Subaru only is really focused on motorsports, to be honest, because that's my biggest passion. Um, it's, a perfect, it's a perfect merge, you know what I mean? So, and I realized, actually, I forgot to mention one thing, if I might uh, go on one more little like super only kind of uh, backstory. Uh, I also, I also uh, went through the process of getting my retail dealer's license. And because I've always been interested in, I've always bought and sold cars on Craigslist, on classifieds. I mean, I was in the penny saver and the classifieds of the LA Times when I was growing up, like literally looking in flipping cars uh, as soon as I was like old enough uh, and I've been into buying and selling cars all my life so I'd always had this idea of like wanting to buy cars at the auctions but I know you had to have like a dealer's license to buy cars at the auctions and I'd always been like bouncing around in the back of my mind and when I started the super only thing a couple years ago I was like you know what in addition to the super only YouTube channel I'm going to get like a dealer license I'm going to uh get a little shop where I can flip cars and so I can buy these like Subarus at dealers, uh, dealer auctions and then sell them out of a little like retail dealership thing. And uh, because I've always been buying and selling cars my whole life anyways, I'm familiar with that whole process. So how different can it be? So while I was still working full time as a, like a hydrogeologist or a fluid mechanics engineer, that's kind of what I do professionally nine to five. I got all the paperwork in order. I went to the dealer, dealer licensing classes, took the tests, uh, at the DMV, got all the, you know, the retail business licenses, ended up having to, you have to retail, you have to, you have to rent a retail location, like a retail space. that's in a commercial area that's zoned for sales of new vehicle or used vehicles. So I had to find a location that was right in the right zoning in the area that I live. And I basically like leased a shop space 
that was in the right zoning so I could get my retail dealer's license and ended up getting my dealer's license and ended up opening up a little shop. And of course I called it super only. And it was only opened on like, you know, uh, select hours based on, uh, you know, what, um, like prior booking or whatever you want to call it, like reservation only kind of thing. So I was working nine to five as an engineer in my daily nine to five, right. but I wanted that like shop space so that I could just buy these cars. So uh, I went down that whole path. I ended up installing a lift so I could like raise the cars up and do a little maintenance and services on them. Yeah. I in the long term had the idea of like doing upgrades to people's cars and maybe even getting, I ended up getting a, you know, a sales license and I ended up having a wholesale uh, contract with uh, Rally Sport Direct for a time being with uh, Cobb and with Killer B and with all these different like aftermarket manufacturers so I could like, you know, stock their parts and sell their parts. Although some of them required you to like buy $5,000 worth of merchandise or something like that. Uh, Cobb in particular required that for them to like permanently issue a, a dealer license for their stuff. Um, so uh, I went down that whole road and quickly found out that all the cars that I got from the auction were like the worst freaking cars I've ever gotten. And like you can evaluate these cars at the auction in a very limited way. You can't really get underneath them too much. You can't, you can't do any like, real diagnosis of these cars. They have like, they've been inspected, they provide an inspection report. And in my opinion, like half the inspection reports were complete bullshit and a waste of your time to like, you know, use them for any value. And like, they were like some of the worst like lemon cars I'd ever seen, you know, from, um, I mean, just random, really random problems in steering and suspension and, and the transmissions and the engine, everything, like everything you could think of, random stuff. These were kind of the worst cars I've ever gotten. So I found that I was getting, I could find better cars on Craigslist and on Facebook Marketplace uh, right. than I could at these dealer auctions. And I was like, to hell with these dealer auctions. This is ridiculous, at least for Subarus and high performance Subarus. Cause I was focusing on buying like WRXs and STIs, I would say, um, and just kind of cool, older, unique Subarus that I could find here and there. And it wasn't a good place to get those at those auctions. Those auctions are high volume for all the other, like just generic brands, I think, you know? Right. So I ended up uh, not, you know, I ended up kind of dropping off of going to the auctions and buying cars at the auctions. And since I didn't need to go to the auctions, buy cars at the auctions anymore, I didn't want to have that retail location anymore because I was just paying them for that for fucking nothing. I was basically breaking even every month pretty easily, but I wasn't making a whole lot of money. And all my time and effort was going towards paying my shop overhead, you know? Um, right. And there was a potential to grow it to the point. I could have hired a couple more people maybe to grow it to the point where it was profitable. But I also found that once I opened that shop and I started getting involved in that shop, that I actually didn't have any time for my YouTube videos. I didn't have any time for my own personal vehicles and my own personal like motorsports stuff that I was involved in. And I ended up like having to backseat all that stuff the whole time I had that shop up, you know, where I, cause I rented it, I leased it. I had to build it out on the inside where I had, you know, all my tools installed and the lift installed and had an upper office location. So I, it was a huge distraction as far as, you know, a time sink. And, uh, and then once I started buying the cars and flipping them, I ended up spending all my time prepping the cars and meeting people to sell the cars and doing all the paperwork for selling the cars. And before I knew it, all my time was being spent just like, flipping these cars and trying to break even at the shop and I wasn't doing any racing and uh, you know, wasn't really enjoying myself all that much. So I closed it the shop. Sounds miserable. Yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, I mean, I, I mean, at the end it wasn't a good option for me. It wasn't a good fit for me, but I don't think I would have known that for sure without doing it. And I'm a really big advocate of just fucking going forward and trying things in life. You know what I mean? It's even if I spend money and I lost money in the end, I learned a lot about 
going down that path. And I know now that, you know, I wouldn't want to get into the retail car business in, in that, in that way, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, again. And I had had that idea in my head swimming around for decades. So I've completely flushed out that idea of something that I want to pursue. And now I can focus in a sincere way on the other things and not have any distractions. You know what I mean? I hear you completely. Yeah. So that is a super only shop that was for out there for time being. I bet you if you're on like Google, you can still find it on Google maps. Like it was up for a while where I had a bunch of pictures of the shop and you know, I had a few, a bunch of ratings I had a, you know, I think I had a five-star rating basically from eight or 10 people giving me the Google reviews and I was on Yelp and um, for a while there for like six months or 10 months after you still like see the shop. It just said closed, but you still see all the pictures of the in interior of the shop and stuff. Yeah. It says permanently closed Yep. on the internet. Yep. But is there any pictures? Yep. There's pictures. Pictures of the inside and stuff. You see the lift. You see my little like area where I had like a bar. I actually had like a little bar for people to hang out. <laughs> That's actually, you know what? That is a very overlooked thing for shops. Shop people that are listening to this, you need a better seating area. Yep, totally. I've been in a couple of them. They're all horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I know I had these like cool little like stainless steel, like little, you know, bar tables and comfortable seats. And I had a little bar that you could hang out at where I was just going to, the vision was to have a, have a, had a big rack in the back along the wall where all the seating was, where I have all the like cool aftermarket parts you could hang on the wall. And I had like little actually signs hung up where I said like, you know, suspension parts and then, you know, interior parts and you know, engine parts and stuff like that. And I was going to like basically zip tire mount, like, you know, some cool blingy looking badass, uh, you know, machine parts, uh, like on the blue the tipped exhaust and stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. That was yeah. the idea, but ended up not needing that shop because of the licensing thing. It was a waste of money. So I brought all this stuff back to my house and now I just work out of my house, my home shop. My home shop is way more comfortable and easy because I obviously, you know, it's right here. Uh, no time driving and commuting to anywhere. And, uh, you know, saves the cost of the overhead for the shop and allows me to pursue all my motorsport stuff and my builds. And, uh, so shit. So what are you doing out of that? What's your, uh, what's, what are you doing for the future? What's, what's the uh, goals? Yeah. So the goals are to get the current build done and the current build is this 1998 RSTI, uh, basically a two door coupe in world Raleigh blue. And, uh, it's an RS it's an, it's an original factory RS in the factory world Raleigh blue. Uh, which is rare, a two-door, five-speed, World Rally Blue RS from 1998, I believe is only one of about 700 or 800 made. Um, so it's a pretty rare car to have. And uh, it actually has a full WRX driveline in it. So in that respect, it's not rare because it's no longer original, but it's got an 05 WRX driveline. So the engine, the transmission, and the rear diff, and all the axles and the hubs and everything and brakes. And uh, I had a blown head gasket. So I had the head engine out. And I'm redoing the head gasket on that motor and I'm doing a whole video, you know, a video series on YouTube walking through. I did a whole video series pulling the motor and I really took my time to like walk through every single little bolt and every single little like trick to prep an engine for removal. And so that somebody who's never done it before should be able to like watch the whole video series. And incidentally, I have a playlist up there um, for all these different videos, the different categories of videos. There's playlists and that's the easiest way to watch it. And so I did a whole video series of like pulling a Subaru, a turbo, a turbo Subaru motor, you know, with a manual transmission. And now I'm doing a video series on rebuilding that motor. And it's a two liter EJ 205 motor. That's what came in that 2005 WX. So I'm rebuilding it, you know, basically. Single cam or double overhead? Uh, they're double overhead cam. Oh, good. Yeah. I need to, I'm waiting for the, you to do the timing belt. 
Yes, I know. I need to do that because I have nice. a time belt video out for the single overhead cam on a natural aspirated motor, which incidentally, that video is like my most popular video. Uh, it's got like over 55,000 views now in the last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's because everybody's trying to figure out how to do that. It's pretty common, you know. Um, which I'm in the audience. I'm trying to figure out how to do the dual overhead cam, which I have the full service manual and I still, for, for some reason, need help. Well, I'm sure I'll learn that, man. I'm sure that's like the case from a lot ton of people out there. That's why I got to do these videos. So that is definitely going to be one of the upcoming videos is doing time belt. As a matter of fact, I'm actually right there. I just put the head gaskets on. I did that video out. I used ARP head studs, as a matter of fact, and set of the head bolts and had the head, head gaskets are basically replaced now. And the next couple of videos will be the, the doing the timing belt for a dual overhead cam motor. Oh, good. Because that's where I am. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and this motor is awesome because... It's interesting build because I have to, I have some unique constraints for this build to, to consider. And that is that I want this engine to be legal. I want this car to be legal. And in the state of California, if you replace your engine with an engine from a newer vehicle, you actually have to go get it inspected by the air resources board at an inspection station. And they have to check for certain like criteria that they want to know that the car has. And what they basically is in a nutshell is if you put a newer engine, yeah, you can't put an engine from an older vehicle in your car. You can only put an engine from a newer vehicle in your older car, right? That's the first thing. So you, you have to go in that direction, newer engine. And then you have to have all the original smog equipment that came on that newer engine. So in my case, I have a 1998 RSTI coupe and I'm putting a 2005 WX engine in it. And that means I have to have all the smog equipment that came on that 2005 WX on the car when I go and get it inspected. And then I definitely gonna... would wanna just hop smog it. Yeah. Sounds like a headache. <laughs> well, this thing is once you do this inspection, and I'll tell you the other things, like once you do this inspection, they're gonna issue me an actual tag called a bar tag that'll be in the engine compartment. And that actually adds the value to the car because it's basically permanently changes the status of the car in the eyes of the Air Resources Board in California. So that any smog station from that point forward can pop your hood, see the little tag that's issued by the state of California and know that they can test this engine based on a 2005 WX engine. You know what I mean? Huh. So All right. I mean, yeah, I guess that makes it better. Makes it way easier because at point forward, you don't have to get, uh, uh, you know, you, there's basically no way to get legally have your car smog in California if you have a turbo motor in it. And uh, this 1998 RSTI is a first generation Subaru. So basically for those of you who are, aren't really familiar with these like generations of Subaru, the first generation Subaru Impreza was from 1991 or two. I'm forgetting two. now. Two. 1992 through 2001, right? And, and then 2002, they released that bug eye in North America. And for those of us here in North America, I'm in California and so is Jimmy, we're in North America. And basically 2002 was the first time we got an Impreza with a turbo motor. I mean, of course there was an right. early legacy turbo motor that excuse me, was in North America, but it didn't make much power. There was some serious limitations in the head flow. And I don't think it even had an intercooler on it, did it? I don't think it did. I no. don't know. I think it's. I think it was like a, it was a twin turbo, right? And it was like missing stuff. I think there was a single turbo here in North America, in that car. I don't know for sure, but nevertheless, we never got that first generation Impreza, right? The GC body, right? Um, over here, so we never had a GC8 over here. Essentially, that's like the turbo version of the motor. Um, we had naturally aspirated Imprezas in that first generation, and a lot of people feel that that first generation Impreza is the best looking Impreza, the best design the best proportions, the best quintessential Subaru vehicle, especially for rally, because that's the one that Colin McRae won all those championships in, is that first generation car, right? right? 
well the, yeah that and a legacy but yeah, 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 early as legacies. far as chassis like that that 2012 that i have that thing is a pig massive hog compared to my green car that that first generation impreza body and chassis is it's smaller more lightweight and the two doors had a smaller wheel, uh, shorter wheelbase yep exactly they do and and uh, the weight on the early i think the two doors are probably in the 2600 range 2500 range especially if you strip down a few things and from them um yeah all those you know imprezas from the mid 90s to the early 2001 are kind of in like the high 2000 range for pounds right 2600 2700 pounds 2800 pounds maybe yeah all the way down to 2500 pounds pretty easily 2400 and change yeah i think my my the the 2012 chassis is 3300 yep so if you're getting down to 2400 and those are 23 33 that's almost a thousand pound difference and um as far as like acceleration of mass and the way an engine propels a vehicle forward we're talking about a body of mass that's around 2,500 to 3,000 pounds, give or take, right? So let's say 3,000 pound vehicle. At that, with that body of mass uh, to propel the car forward, basically, you know, make it move forward and make it stop, um, but to make it move forward, a hundred pound, diff- a thousand pound difference is basically equivalent to a hundred pound, a hundred horsepower difference engines. So basically if you took your 3,000 pound car and stripped a thousand pounds off and make it weigh 2,000 pounds, it would be exactly the same as if that 3,000 pound car had a hundred horsepower stronger engine. So what are you doing what with that? You're, we're land speed recording, we're rally crossing, what are we doing? Okay, so the plans for the, yeah, for the 1998 RSTI is to, uh, I mean, you kind of not hit it on, the, you kind of alluded to it. I'm not gonna, I'm taking this car rally cross racing for sure. Um, pretty active in the rally crossing with you, although not as much, um, but I'm gonna drag race it. I'm going to take it to autocrosses. I'm going to take it to time trials. We're going to be taking it to Bonneville for the land speed trials. And the idea behind this two-door coupe, and this is kind of the culmination of all my motorsport stuff I've been involved in, um, that I wanted to build a car that was kind of a cross-platform car, recognizing that there's limitations in doing that. I know that this car can't be the most competitive car for any one competitive sport, like motorsport league or series, if I'm gonna build something that's cross-platform, right? And meaning, meaning that I wanna build a car that I can take to the drag strip, that I can take to the rally cross, that I can take to time trials uh, at some airports and closed airports. I wanna to take to the Bonneville. I wanna build a car that I can just be eligible to compete at all these different motorsport events in. And, and I know that what, means, what that's gonna mean is that I'm not gonna be the most competitive in any, any one of those. And that's fine because my objective is I wanna go hang out with people in these different kind of like motorsport arenas. I want to go learn more about it. I want to go you know, get exposure to the guys that go to Bonneville and are all into this land speed racing thing. I want to uh, just get a little bit of taste of all these different types of motorsports. Cause that's what I really liked is getting exposure to different types of motorsports and seeing the different communities and different types of cars. And, and I, Subaru is one of these platforms that's really unique that you can make it so functionally cross platform, you know, with an all wheel drive system. I can certainly be successful on the drag strip with this car and still at the same time on the same weekend, I can go rally cross it, you know? I mean, that almost sounds like a, the dream. It is. It kind of is. And now we got white line on this car as a part, as a sponsor of 2019. Uh, they're under the, uh, the sponsor program, hashtag grip activated. So give a shout out to white line. Thanks again for the sponsorship for that 1998 coupe and the super only channel. And by extension, the super only podcast that you guys are listening to, uh, white line is one of the sponsors for this show, essentially. And notch uh, suspension stuff too. 
Yes. Um, for, yeah, great, great quality. I think the highest quality out there, frankly. And they actually have a new line of coilovers that I'm looking at. Uh, they have some pretty impressive kind of build stuff about them that I like. Um, but we're hoping to gather more sponsors over time. Um, I think as when, when I get this car done and we start, you know, actually being able to bring the car to events and getting some um, exposure for the car and for the channel and for the podcast and for the YouTube channel and whatever other kind of marketing avenues we go down, I think we'll get more and more sponsorships. And it's, it makes sense, you know, and as we interview more people on this podcast, that's going to kind of open up the doors to building relationships with these people. And as we build relationships with these people, it, it could very well turn into a partnership and a sponsorship if the if it's a mutually beneficial thing if they like our program they like what we're doing they like the exposure they'll get with us um it's a logical um group or you know a logical kind of thing for them to get involved in and want to sponsor right so that's what subaru only is all about now it's about getting out there and racing it's about hopefully building this thing so that we get more and more sponsorship and that we can get this, uh, this car and my other Subarus and any other Subaru and anybody that's involved in it, uh, get this program up and running and get more sponsors and get to more racing events and uh, gather more fans and in this kind of whole kind of momentum and inertia that I have with the YouTube channel and with the podcast and with the people and friends that we're making and all these different motorsport communities. So I think that's the plans for the future with the Super Only channel and where we want to take the podcast. Of course, like, you know, as we get involved in all these races, we're going to have a lot of different things to talk about, you know, from prepping the cars for the race and what the, you know, what the requirements are as far as the specifications for the car, you know. Um, I also want to get involved maybe in some hill climbs. I forgot to mention that and certain, you know, different sanctioning bodies require things like roll cages or, you know, fire control or, uh, all different types of things like that. So we'll talk about that kind of thing. We'll dive into that in the YouTube channel. We'll dive into that in the podcast. Um, and then when we go to these events, uh, we'll have a lot to talk about as far as what it was like at the event. Maybe we can even do some podcasts from the events because Jimmy and I, you know, Jimmy, you and I are at a lot of these events together. Um, and you and I have talked about maybe actually starting to do a traveling thing where we go to, you know, Bonneville together and do some podcasts from there, maybe do some YouTube videos from there. And, never uh, know. and also just ran, run the car. Yeah, and run the car. Most importantly, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that's the plans for me. That's kind of how I got into Subarus. That's why I'm in the Subarus. I mean, this has been, a, you know, a lifelong passion. And it's been a really interesting evolution of going through the different makes and manufacturers out there and being involved in different motorsports and landing at this point, you know, almost 25 years down the road for me and really involved in cars uh, with Subarus and like loving the platform. The Subaru platform, you know, right. Well, we're kind of stretching on time here. All right, well, let's wrap we'll it up. Wrap here. it up. I said we wrap it up. Uh, this is the Subaru only podcast, guys. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Thanks for listening today. Really appreciate it. Uh, this is I'm Luke, uh, and I'm with my podcast host Jimmy. And Jimmy, tell them where they can download this podcast. You can find this podcast on most any place now that you can uh, get a podcast on uh, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Anchor, Google Store, Google Play, whatever the Android version of that stuff is. Uh, I think I think it's called Public Radio is an app. Uh, yeah, almost everywhere now. Um, or maybe it's Radio Public. I don't know. I've always get that on I don't know either. It's one of them. Anchor, I think, is one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 
generally for most people that listen to stuff, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcast or the Google Play Store, you can find us or Spotify. Um, next week, we're going to be having an awesome interview with Ian Duncan, who is far more qualified than either me or you to probably be speaking about driving. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, not, I don't even think I know people that are is, have like as many little pinpoints or a, of what do you, what would you call that? A little achievement, power pinpoints or whatever. Accolations, accolades. I mean, this is a, okay. For those of you who don't know this guy, um, we're here in North America. This guy is out of the UK. He's, he's, he's actually a professional driver coach, motorsport driver coach. He's got a bunch of, uh, of really, really interesting background touch points with Subarus. And he, he's currently, that's his profession is he's a professional driver. He coaches, you know, amateur and professional drivers for a living. And he's involved. We're talking in- like F1, WRC. We're talking like, in like actual like hardcore drivers, professional drivers. Yep, exactly. And uh, I'm and I'm fucking excited. I've been talking with Ian for a couple months now. We've been trying to line this up. Like I mentioned, he's over in the UK, which means there's a time difference. So they're actually eight hours ahead of us here in California. So we're kind of been figuring out how to work around that and figure out a good time. But we've we figured out the time and. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Ian on the next podcast, and it's going to be really, really, really interesting podcast. And I can't wait to hear what that guy's got to say and share some of his experiences because, you know, he's been around the block and he's been doing it for a little while now. And I can't imagine all the stuff he's been involved in. Can't wait either. I got a lot of questions for him, but that'll be next week or whenever we get the next one out. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. This is a Sea Rolling podcast. Me and Jimmy, really appreciate you checking it out today. Until next time. Keep it real and make sure you wave to those naturally aspirated guys. <laughs>